0: From Isaiah 42, 1 through 12. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he established justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. This is what the God of our Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them. Let the desert and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Salah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. Amen.
1: Thank you, Stephanie. I'd like to start with a word of prayer and I'd like to ask that you all bow with me for a moment. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father and our King, we thank you for the preciousness of your word. We thank you, Lord, for all the different ways in which you speak to us. Thank you, Lord, that you fashioned us, and you have our cell phone number, and you know how to get a hold of us. And we pray, Lord, today that as we look into your word and continue to be in your presence, we do pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, and that each of us would hear your word in our language. And that each of us, Lord God, would have a clear grasp from you what it is that you're saying to us and that your Ruach would empower us to embrace your call so that we would take your word and put it into practice and so that your word would bear much fruit in us and through us. And we ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Did you know that Hanukkah was actually a belated Sukkot celebration? I bet you didn't know that. If you're new to us, you may not know what either of those actually mean. So let me explain to you. I'm glad you asked. Um, I'm sure you know that the, the story of the Maccabees, if you do know the story of the Maccabees, you'll know that they were hindered or actually... Um, incapable of coming to the temple and celebrating the pilgrim festivals because, among other things, the temple was defiled. And, you, you know, when you have uh, the altar of God defiled with a sow, a female pig, you got a big problem. And uh, not to mention the fact that Jerusalem was under the control of Antiochus Epiphanes who basically described himself as God in human form and everybody else called him Antiochus Epimenes, Antiochus the Mad. Um, and so when the Maccabees took control of the temple area and you're familiar with the story how, how that they cleansed the temple Part of what they wanted to do was to celebrate the festival of Sukkot which they were not able to do before. So the original festival of Hanukkah included candelabras, included menorahs, big gigantic lights, not you know the little ones that we have, but the menorahs, the menorot, the candelabras could be seen uh, because they were huge. They could be seen all over because they were huge and they were placed up on on the hill on Mount Zion. And part of the celebration was that they took some of the elements from Sukkot, such as the shaking of the lulav, the four species, and the etrog. And they did that for a while until Hanukkah eventually got its own um, unique Customs and traditions. But one of the uh, traditions that has come down to us is something called Pirsum Hanes. I won't ask you to pronounce it. I I know you will anyways, but Pirsum Hanes means the proclamation of the miracle. And when you come tomorrow night and you light the candles, if you, those who have the Menorot, Chanukyot um, you you will understand that part of the picture is that the menorah, the Hanukkiah is taken outside of the main area and put on the windowsill so that people who are walking by will see that the celebration of Hanukkah is taking place in this house Pirsum Hanes means that we celebrate the victory and the miracle that God brought about, not only for ourselves, but also for other people. And this is, by the way, what God had ordained for the nation of Israel to do, is to be a light to the nations. So pirsum hanes is part of what we do out of thanksgiving to God because of what He did for us. And we not only celebrate for our own sake, but also for the probability probability, and the likelihood that others would be impacted. You know, often we are oblivious to that because life gets intense and we have things in our plate and we're preoccupied and consumed and life is about us and God get me through and I need help and etc cetera, etc cetera. we're oblivious to people who are out there and what is hugely important for us to realize is the fact that God placed us on this earth not only for our sake but for the sake of others around us who need to be impacted by the message of salvation that God has given to us this is something that Yeshua mentioned when he was speaking to the pharisees he says out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks in other words if god fills you it has to overflow to others and make an impact otherwise you come and you knock on the lord's door and you say lord uh, it's really not overflowing it's kind of down here somewhere about one third would you please fill it fill it up so that it does overflow. But that is what Pilsum Hanes, the proclamation of the miracle, is all about, is the fact that we're grateful for what God did, but as well we want others to to be aware of it. You know, the old saw is um, that Jewish holidays typically um, go something like this. They wanted to kill us. God wouldn't let them. Now let's eat. (laughs) (laughs) And if if you've been around Messianic Jewish circles, you may have heard that one once or twice or 15 times, but in any event, it is not only about us. Remember, folks, that Hanukkah Christmas, this whole time of year, um even though what we see is the Kodak moments, you know, y- you see families smiling around the table with, with uh, all kinds of food, uh, potato pancakes, latkes in, in our case, or uh, ham roast in case of others, um, that's glitz that is presented to us by Madison Avenue in Hollywood, and reality is and i don 't want to start off by depressing everybody, but reality is that the holidays are very difficult for a lot of people who have family breakdowns of one kind or another, either uh, either divorces or deaths and so on and as you as this season comes upon people. Um, A lot of folks have a hard time just getting through. And part of the story for us who are celebrating is our urgent need to be available for the Lord to communicate His good news and His message of revelation and salvation to those who are struggling. And yes, we ourselves... Often struggle as well, and so it's not as if we are um, sitting pretty in on every situation. But as the Word of God tells us, Paul tells us that out of the comfort with which God gives us, we then are enabled to comfort other people. Again, that's pilsumanes, that's why we not only celebrate the festival ourselves, but we endeavor to be available to communicate this message to other people. Because we're not only living our lives as individuals but we're living our lives as individuals who happen to be God's servants. And, and at least for me, over a lifetime what has really defined and given value and purpose It's not merely the fact that I have a life to live and I'm trying to take care of business and take care of my family and minister to my congregation, our congregation. But the fact that God has called me to be a servant. That my life isn't mine, that my life belongs to Him. That when I embraced Yeshua, I signed on the dotted line and I said, Lord, my life is yours. And so part of the package is that God takes us seriously and He says, Okay, you have, you have yielded your life to Me. You have declared that I am Lord. Then you're going to act like it by, by being committed to serve Me. And, and for the next few Shabbatot, I, I expect to be going through a number of these passages. They're called Servant Psalms. Or songs, rather, in in Isaiah, that speak about someone, or or some people, that God calls my servant. And so here, you have this individual, and it's not mentioned. You don't have clear reference like you do in other places, such as Isaiah uh, chapter. 11 where it speaks about the root of Jesse here it speaks about someone my servant obviously someone who has an intimate relationship with God if you look at those words they're very tender expression of this relationship with God where he speaks he's, he speaks about someone who is his servant someone that he has chosen. In other words, someone who has been selected by God for a particular commission. And I wanted to talk for a minute about the different ways that you can look at this. By the way, as you might expect, the majority of rabbis look at this passage as referring to the nation of Israel. Why? Because in other passages... Uh, the Lord speaks about Israel as His servant, the entire nation as being His servant. However, when even when it does that, it's very clear that Israel is God's servant in a limited sense. Why? Because the nation needs major help. They're not able to serve God dramatically as is presented here and in other passages. And that is why... Oddly enough, you have a couple of of rabbis who are who have a dissenting point of view. And by the way, this is so typical of rabbinic commentaries on scripture and on anything for that matter. You would have majority opinion, then you would have minority opinion, and the rabbis would say both this and this are the word of God. Both and um, majority opinion is for for now, and minority opinion will be for a time when we need extra help. So, this obviously is speaking about someone who is part of Israel, but someone who is, in a sense, greater than Israel, because the nation, when Israel, when Isaiah is making this prediction, this prophecy... The nation of Israel was in bad spiritual muck. They have been worshiping false gods for a couple of centuries. So, whoever this person is, it, he's going to be someone who is very unique. Um, and by the way, you see obviously some parallels be- between what Isaiah says here and also in other places, such as Isaiah 11. And also, Isaiah chapter 61. Now, it's intriguing, at least I find it intriguing, to point out that this is speaking about the Messiah. So, of course, people want to determine who this is. And for us, in a Messianic Jewish setting, this, of course, refers to Yeshua in a big way, in the biggest possible way. But do you realize that Judah the Maccabee was a Messiah, With a small m. He came. He was I believe sent by God. To save the nation during a time of of great distress. And it's like the times of the judges. And as you read the book of Judges. What you'll see. Is that it speaks about the judges as messiahs. In a sense. The word that's used there is Moshiach, Which means a savior. Obviously in the case of Judah and Maccabee. Uh, the salvation was, was very limited. You may know, for instance, that a hundred years after the Maccabees came and cleansed the temple and then later on established a, an independent kingdom, the Romans came. So Israel went from being under the domination of the, the Greek Syrians to being under the domination of the Romans. So the salvation that Judah the Maccabee brought was obviously something very limited. That's not the case here. The picture is global. It's it's magnificent. But again, it begins with a very personal relationship between this person and God. My servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. If you're a parent, you get the flavor of that. How that, if you're a parent, you understand that there are times, especially when when your child is sleeping at night, that you look at them and you go, ah, what a delightful little creature. (laughs) Of course, during the day, there are times when you're restraining your hands from wanting to choke them, but uh, you have that kind of a sense of God speaking with great deal of delight and pleasure about this individual someone that he has placed his spirit and remember that in scripture in the Hebrew Bible where you see the word spirit of God being applied to an individual it is typically to cause them to be empowered to do this this massive kind of work that is not possible for an average human being to do you have all kinds of examples, um, especially with Moses and with David and so on, where God places His Spirit upon people and causes them to be empowered for His service. Not just empowered, but also have have the ability to understand what God wants. You know, and and, and at least for me, I think for for all of us. So much of the time, we're tied up in knots because we have no clue what God wants. And I think if we were to go around this room and ask for a show of hands, do you know what God wants from you? I would be surprised if we have more than a handful of people who would raise up their hands and say, yes, I know precisely what God wants from me. But this is something that comes about as the Spirit of God takes greater and greater control of our life. And we have the ability to understand what God wants and we have the ability to actually carry it out. This, of course, applies to Yeshua. And the words are so, um, so reminiscent of the time when Yeshua was immersed when he underwent t'vila, remember last Shabbat, um, Linda Grant spoke about t'vila, the immersion, believers' immersion. Yeshua underwent that, and um, during that occasion, the Spirit of God came upon him in the form of a dove, and there was a voice from heaven saying, "You are my Son, whom I love; with with you I'm well pleased." Very much like the language that is used here in Isaiah to refer the, to the servant of God in Isaiah chapter 11 we see similar kind of language and I wanted to park here for a few minutes in Isaiah 11 where it speaks about the servant of the Lord this this um, root of Jesse he would delight in the fear of the Lord he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears but with righteousness he will judge the needy and with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. This is one of these places where knowing Hebrew really makes it come alive because where it speaks about in Isaiah eleven three, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord it literally means that he will smell that he will have a sense of smell of the fear of the Lord and, and the, the, if you were to connect the dots what it means is that this person in Isaiah 11 of course this person in Isaiah 42 will be someone who is tuned in to God's program and who knows what God wants from him and acts on it rather than what seems right and proper to him You know, Scripture tells us the ways of man. uh, There are ways that seem right to a man, but the ways are thereof are death. You know, we think of all kinds of strategies and and plans that are that we think in our unbelievable wisdom um, to be the right plans, effective plans. You know, we'd come up with five-year plans or four-year plans, whatever only to find out that at the end of the day what we have is, is a heap of dust why? because God was not in it He was not involved He was not interested and sometimes what we do is we ask God we, we come up with plans we sit down with our iPads I was going to say yellow pads I have, to, I have to shift into the 21st century here we sit with our, with our iPads and scribble our thoughts and ideas and then we say, Lord, uh, would you please come and sprinkle a little pixie dust, you know, bless it. And the Lord's attitude is, nope, not interested. You sit down, you be quiet, you listen, you let me talk to you, you get what I'm saying to you and then you act on what I'm telling you and then you wait for me to give you the power to do it. That's God's way, folks. Not our way, but it's God's way. And the servant of the Lord that is presented in in both Isaiah 11 and here in Isaiah 42 is someone who is tuned into God's program. Someone who is empowered by God, by the Spirit of God to carry out what God wants and he does it God's way, not his own way. And because of that, in verse 4, we're told that he will not be disheartened or crushed. Hebrew word there literally has the sense of being weak, ineffective, or running out of gas. Which we all experience. You know, we get started with Programs with things we think we're going to do because we think God wants to do them. And over a period of time, we just kind of sort of like a balloon that lost, lost all its air. And so we get discouraged or crushed by that because we don't know how to operate under the leading and empowering of the Spirit of God. What will this person do? The, the word for judge or judgment or justice, mishpat, is used here three times. Remember in Scripture, whenever something is mentioned three times, it, it is a message that basically states, hello, are you listening? Are you paying attention? Sit up and take notice. I said it once, I said it twice, I'll say it again three times. That is the job... Of this individual. And same thing, by the way, if you look at Isaiah chapter 11, you'll find the same thing. Judgment and justice is mentioned three times. Why? What, what is this about? Is this only about providing justice for the weak? Well, that's part of it. Remember that in Scripture, God is on the side of the, the weak And he's opposed to the proud. It's a military term that we see in Proverbs and in James. He's opposed to the proud. He sets himself in opposition to the proud. Which means that justice for the poor, for the weak, is something that God desires. You see see that all throughout Scripture. But there's really more to it because this is a global picture. It speaks not only of justice in a judicial sense when you go to court and you know that the judge is going to listen to you and pay attention and not going to be moved because there's some slick lawyer who stands up and, and is able to sway the judge. It speaks about or God's life-giving order in society we live in a chaotic society in a disordered society and God's heart is to bring us to bring the world to bring society into His order and God's life-giving order exists when creation is functioning in accordance with God's design In other words, whenever God gets done with His plans and purposes for creation, for humanity, He will bring things back into order, into this judgment, into this justice and bring it into line with His will. this individual will, will not be pretentious you know this is something you often see about folks who are in power who, have, who are in positions of power they're filled with a sense of their self-importance and are interested in, being in, in expanding their kingdom in self-aggrandizement and that cannot be true of the servant of God a man or a a woman who is committed to serving God cannot be committed to expanding their kingdom but has to be committed to expanding the kingdom of God which means pretension and strutting your stuff is not of God and specifically here it speaks about the fact that God's servant will support the bruised reed he will not crush it and he will not he will not put snuff out the smoldering wick but rather he will support it and you see that for example mentioned in Yeshua's healing ministry in, in Matthew Matthew quotes this passage in explaining what Yeshua was doing and, and saying What Yeshua was doing in healing people is exactly what you find here in the prophet Isaiah. It's the heart of God, folks, to take the the people who are struggling and weak and broken, and bring about healing and redemption and restoration. You know, it's been said that the strength and health of a society is reflected in how it treats its weakest members. You know, you look at the horrendous regimes, obviously the Nazi regimes and others, and you'll see that they went after the weakest members of society. That's not God's system. He opens the eyes that are blind. He frees the captives from prison. He releases from dungeon those that sit in darkness. It's not the only place that we see God's heart being reflected. And again, this is something amazing about the prophets. If if you have shied away from reading the prophets because of the doom, gloom, and judgment and and, and the severe messages, let me encourage you to dive into those passages because they reflect the heart of God and the emotions of God in a way that you don't find elsewhere in Scripture. And what you see here in Isaiah 42 is also reflected in Isaiah 61. And let me just read to you the statement in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. how do we relate to that well if we're weak of course we want Messiah we want God's help to open our eyes when, when we are spiritually blind release releases from, from captivity of one kind or another but at the same time then we are inclined to side with the strong think about it when you see someone who is weak, are you drawn to them? Or are you drawn to someone who is strong because you hope that some kind of, some kind of their mojo, their pixie dust will come flying out, flying out and land on you and make you strong and charismatic? I think that's human nature, not God's heart. Because the Lord sees those who are needy and he has a plan and his power is a power that comes through meekness and remember that meekness folks is not weakness but meekness is strength under control again this is so counterintuitive to us because our society doesn't operate that way the strong are loud And by the way, it was that way in in the first century, in biblical times, a king would issue these big, loud proclamations. We see that, for example, in Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar wanted people to do something, so a herald was sent by him proclaiming loudly, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the gong and musical instrument you must fall down and worship the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up again God's approach is totally opposite folks the number of times in scripture that you see God coming in overwhelming power is limited you don't have a whole mess of times in scripture where you see God putting on a, display, a spectacular display. You have that on, 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 on the uh, Mount Sinai when the Torah was given. You see that in, in the, uh, the giving of the Ruach in Pentecost or Shavuot. But much of the time, folks, God prepares to do things quietly. Why? Because He wants us to learn to stop and listen to cultivate a listening ear where we stop and say, God, would you please speak to me? And no, you don't need a two-by-four to get my attention. A two-by-four, by the way, is not one of the scriptural methods that I see that God uses to get our attention. He wants people to learn to listen. Isaiah 30 states the same thing. This is what the Lord God says, the Holy One of Israel. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Not in standing up and beating your chest and saying, I'm the king of this castle or the queen of this castle. But in learning to be quiet. what's intriguing here is that the Lord makes it very clear that whatever commission He gives His servant this commission will be successful think about that of course this is speaking about Yeshua the Messiah God incarnate however Yeshua serves as a model for us that if God truly gives us a commission To follow and to put into practice, because it is God's design, He has to flourish, it has to succeed. Verse 5 This is what the Lord God says He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. By the way, this phrase, I am the Lord, is associated with a couple of places in the Torah in a big way. One with the plagues in Egypt where the Lord says, I will stretch forth my hand and I will do such such and such. Why? Because I am the Lord. Adonai. Four letter name of God. And also the commandments that God gives to Israel. I expect you to follow my commandments. Why? Because I am the Lord. I'm not just a tin horned God. I'm the Lord. And that's part of the message that the Lord gives here. This confidence, this assurance that He gives to His servant that the commission would be successful. That's a tough one, isn't it? Think, think about the different steps that we take to, to get to that. We first of all are consumed with our own strategy and our own agenda. And we try our agenda and it doesn't work and, and we flop and we say, okay God you evidently have a different plan here. Um, would you please talk to me? in the next uh, 20 seconds <laughs> and uh, you know it's a funny thing God is never minded he is not terribly interested in communicating to us in our time frame so the second part of the strategy is to learn to, to wait did you hear that to wait and to listen for God's strategy and sometimes the Lord's timing and our timing just don't coincide, you know? It's kind of a funny thing. We expect things to move along zippity and uh, God doesn't seem to do that. But He will communicate, folks, why? Because He is deeply invested and seeing to it that the commission he has for us is carried out. It's his will, his strategy. So part of the plan is for us to get it. To listen, to hear, and to embrace. And once we do, because he is God, because he is who he is, then success is is assured. That's a tough one, isn't it? It may not be today, may not be tomorrow, may not even be this year. And by the way, if you have been part of our movement, part of our community, the Messianic Jewish community, you know that with us. Things proceed sometimes what seems like at a glacial pace. (laughs) And we don't measure progress in miles per second, but inches per decade sometimes. (laughs) But what the Word of God tells us, that because we know that the commission we have is of God then it will succeed our commission is to see to it that Yeshua has proclaimed first of all to his physical brothers and as well to all of mankind we know that's the word of God that's God's will and it will succeed and Isaiah thinking about all this just explodes into praise and worship. The vision of this success coming about bowls him over and he is just overwhelmed and he calls and invites everybody to come and praise God from coast to coast and around the world. He basically says that the praise of God needs to come from everybody. Those in Mongolia, Those in the US 6th Fleet, those in the Philippine Islands, those in the Sahara Desert, those in the Space Shuttle, those in the submarines, and yes, those in Israel. It has to be broadcasted from the mountaintops. That's what Isaiah tells us here. Let them shout for joy from the tops of the mountains. this has been our heart and our vision that is why we're meeting together to consider different forms of outreach but folks it's just our humanity and our feeble efforts the point is it's God's commission and as we listen and endeavor to follow him to do things his way we're assured of success the message for us is to recognize God's redemptive work in our life and then spread it out. Amen. This is the major message of Hanukkah. Not that kind of message. Pilsum Hanes, <laughs> the proclamation, the miracle. As you light the Hanukkiah, the, the menorah, remember to put it on the windowsill without burning the uh, the curtains. Put it on the windowsill for others to see. Not just physically and, and 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 in this symbolic way, but as well be prepared. Be prepared to be God's hands and feet during the season. The scripture tells us, in your heart set apart Messiah as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And yes, we all go through issues and yes, we all struggle. And part of that is a struggle of faith. Willingness to trust God for the commission that He has for each one of us to be fulfilled. But as we receive it, as we endeavor to follow, as we desire and ask for the fullness of the Spirit of God, then we know how to smell correctly, how to discern what God wants. We are empowered to do that. We are able to proclaim the message. And because it, we know who our God is, success is assured. Yes, I, I realize that for all of us, this is something that's sometimes way out there. But it begins with these basic steps that we take, baby steps sometimes of faith where we say, Lord, I realize that my life is much more than who I am it's more about you let's pray Lord we um, and would you please stand Lord, uh, we stand before you. As a people that often struggle with faith, Lord. Lord, we often see the uh, the giants, we often see the mountains and we choose to be consumed by the giants and the mountains, Lord. We sometimes walk in unbelief. Pray, Lord God, that you will forgive us for our unbelief, for the smallest smallness of our faith, Lord. Our unwillingness to recognize just who you are. We pray, Lord God, for each one of us that we would hear your still small voice that we would see your heart and your mind reflected in your word and that we would embrace it with both hands and both feet Lord God I pray for an increased measure of faith for each of us and for us as a community eyes of faith Lord God to see not what we are capable of doing but what you desire to do And so we pray, Lord God, that you would receive much honor and glory, Lord, as we learn to see things from your perspective. We pray, Lord God, that you give us hearts of flesh, ears, Lord God, that hear your voice and soft hearts, Lord, that are eager to follow you, Lord. And we ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.